MNK Talk YA now presents Red Rising Part 2 of the Red Rising Trilogy by Pierce Brown. to M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our podcast where we talk all about young adult fiction. Woohoo! <laughs> all about sci-fi, fantasy, dystopian, magical realism fiction. Well, and this one is a space opera. Is that the technical word for it? Space opera? I believe so. Because someone someone referred to it as a space opera, so I did a little bit more research on space operas because I didn't know that was actually like the right one. I have no idea what that is. I love I like regular opera, which I know not many people do. <laughs> it has nothing to do with music. It's kind Tell of me, it's based on the words like soap opera and then also horse opera, which I didn't know horse opera was a thing. But I guess Wait. like <laughs> old western movies and stories are called horse operas because there's a lot of like the same horses themes and stuff in there. <laughs> a horse opera i have i have never ever heard of that term before yeah i hadn't either until i looked into this so other famous space operas would be like star wars like that's probably the most epic space oh, okay. opera but um there i was just reading this wikipedia article and it was like comparing it to planetary romances i was like i don't know what a planetary romance is either <laughs> Um, <laughs> this podcast is like expanding my book knowledge so much. I know. So you want to know the difference between space opera and planetary romance? That sounds like the beginning of our of a dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I have to try and think of a funny punchline. But I'm okay. Tell me everything about space operas and planetary romances. Okay. Well, I'll just tell you one thing about them because I didn't dig into everything. But okay. So the space opera usually comes from Western or sea adventure traditions. But planetary romances usually come from the lost world or lost civilization kind of story tradition. Oh, like Atlantis? I guess so. I didn't read any more into it. But I guess the, the term space opera has been around since 1941. Okay. Who coined it? It was coined by Wilson Tucker, who said it's hacky, grinding, stinking, outworn spaceship yarn. That's what describes a <laughs> space opera. But then it became a legitimate genre of science fiction um, in the early 1990s. That's like after Star Wars started and things like that. And um, this is kind of a long description, but I'm just going to read this quote for you. So it's a colorful, dramatic, large scale science fiction adventure, competently and sometimes beautifully written, usually focused on a sympathetic, heroic central character and plot action, and usually set in the relative distant future and in space or on other worlds. Characteristically optimistic in tone, it often deals with war, piracy, military virtues, and very large-scale action with large stakes. So that felt very uh, applicable, I thought. Yeah. At first I was thinking of Alien, because that's my favorite space movie, but that doesn't... It doesn't quite sound right. No, I actually think something else I read about romantic or planetary romances is that they usually involve an alien world, whereas a space opera usually happens in space, but is like with humans. 
or something. Okay, so like Star Trek, Star Wars, that kind of thing. Yeah. That, and that's literally the extent of my knowledge. So we should move on to a different topic now. I'm just kidding. Like, like horse operas? <laughs> All I know about horse operas is they exist. And they're like old westerns. I think so. That was my impression from um, the little parentheses thing I read. So maybe, okay. maybe in the future we can read like a dystopian horse opera. I wonder if like the old west world would be considered like... A horse opera. Have you ever seen the old Westworld? I know, like, the new Westworld is... No. I just saw the new one, but I have not seen the old one. I watched the old one with my with my um, family when we went home a couple... I was like, a couple months ago. And it was the worst thing I'd ever seen. Like, we were just laughing so hard at how bad it was. But, I mean, it was filmed a, a really long time ago. And, but my dad was like, yeah, when this first came out, like, people loved it. And I was, it was just one of those things where you're just like, wow, this is how far we've come in cinema that this was considered, like, a fantastic piece of work. We were just... Well, and relatively quickly. Like, even movies I remember liking when they first came out or thinking were so impressive. And then you rewatch and you're like, oh. <laughs> or, like, did you ever watch, like, old commercials that you used to like as a kid from the 80s? Like... <laughs> well, I, was, I wasn't a kid and I wasn't alive in the 80s. Oh, God. That's right. Uh, Never mind. Skipping over that part. (laughs) I'm just teasing. Uh, Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, um, I did a little bit of research, too. Not a ton, but um, the one thing that I researched was... uh, So this is the second half of Red Rising, everyone. (laughs) I guess you By Pierce Brown. (laughs) Um... And I liked in this half of the book, we got to hear Eo's song be sung. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that, uh, first of all, there's mention of a reaper in the song. And uh, Darrow's name now is the reaper. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I know. It kind of makes me worry that, like, whoever gave him that nickname knows who he is. Because otherwise, like, it's just so much of a coincidence. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, I was, so I was thinking after I, we heard that song, I was thinking about the idea of forbidden songs or like songs that have been banned. Okay. And I mean, that's like, you know, censoring music on the radio, whatever is not, not really a new thing, but I was just looking at up some kind of well-known songs that were banned at one point, And I thought I found some interesting things. So please, please share. I'm thinking of the movie Footloose right now again, though, which I know. I know we've talked about before, but that's not specific <laughs> songs. I was just That's dancing. not on my list. <laughs> um, so these were, there were two songs that were banned by the BBC. Um, the first one that I thought was really funny was the song Splish Splash, I Was Taking a Bath. <laughs> which, like, when you hear it, it sounds like the most harmless song ever, but... It was banned in 1958 because of a nudity reference. Because it never... He's, like, in the bath, right, in the song, and he gets out of the bath to, like, see what's going on because he hears a noise. And there was never any mention of him putting his clothes back on. (laughs) It's very suggestive. (laughs) Yeah, that was, like, too much for the public to handle. So that song was banned at one point. And... It's kind of funny that that was even a song when you really think about it. Like, like, (laughs) Like, I feel like... Some songs or it's even, song. or whatever, I'm like, people, I feel like someone was just like, I could write a song about anything, like, 
one day I was taking a bath and da, 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 and then they like make it up and then it becomes really popular. Like that's my impression. It's of a hit. Songs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other song that I thought was interesting that was banned was <clears throat> um, I'll Be Home for Christmas by Bing Crosby. What? Yeah. Why? Well, okay. When you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense because when I read that, I was like, oh, that's interesting because it's one of my favorite Christmas carols, but... I cannot listen to it without tearing up. Like, and I'm not, I don't know. I'm not like, I don't usually cry at commercials and things like that. But for some reason, that song, like, maybe it's because I lived away from home for a lot of my life. But whenever I hear that song, I like always start to tear up when it comes on the radio. And so it was banned in 1943 by the BBC because they thought it would lower the morale of troops during the war. Oh, yeah, it's just the saddest song ever. Well, that's a good reason. I was trying to think if it was like suggestive of anything. Like if anything, no. what's that one Christmas song where it sounds like that girl is being drugged and forced to stay against her will? Like that one I can Oh, oh yeah. Um, oh, God. Um, Baby, what it's is cold that? outside. Baby, something? it's cold yeah. outside. My uh, Chad just calls it the rape song. <laughs> the date rape song. Because it is like super, yeah, it's like super inappropriate. Yeah, but did you know that they changed the lyrics to that? No. Well, not they. I don't know. Like I saw a version where they changed the lyrics to be, like, you know, not horrible. Like consensual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the best line was um, when she says, "Say what's in the in this drink?" He goes, "Pomegranate Lacroix." I have to check this out later. Oh, this is hilarious. It made me laugh so hard. I'm actually drinking LaCroix right now. <laughs> but that was like my favorite. Why don't we just do a sponsorship for LaCroix while we're at it? <laughs> Everyone, go out and drink LaCroix. <laughs> I drink oh, almost six a day. Just kidding. Yeah, so that those were my two songs that were banned. And I thought, just thought it was crazy that one of them was a Christmas carol. That is crazy. Well, and it's kind of an interesting reason. Well, so talking yeah. about World War II, everything else I did was about war that I looked up. So I oh, was like, okay. a lot of uh, Darrow's tactics kind of reminded me of the like Trojan horse legend. Oh, I love the movie Troy. That's like one of my favorite movies. I actually haven't seen that either, but I haven't seen anything. <sighs> so who's surprised? Well, we come over and we'll have a movie night. <laughs> Sounds good. Anyway, continue. But so there wasn't really much there that I like didn't know before. I didn't spend that much time looking at it, but... um. I thought it was kind of interesting. I read this one theory, and they're like, there's not, it's very speculative, but um, some people say that the Trojan horse wasn't really like a Trojan horse. It was like a battering ram or a boat carrying a peace envoy or something like that. But um, there's also this one theory that it was actually a destructive earthquake that damaged the walls of Troy and let the Greeks in. And the, oh. the reason it's a horse is because. Poseidon, who's the god of sea, most commonly known as, but he's also the god of earthquakes and horses. And horses, yeah. yeah. Oh, so. so, but that means that they had no, no, um, uh, like they didn't do it as like a, a battle strategy. It was just kind of chance that the walls fell. Yeah, unless they like convinced Poseidon somehow. But yeah, it wasn't the same. So I thought that was interesting because <laughs> it's like very different from the legend itself. But, um, yeah. Then I was also looking at Alexander the Great because they kept referencing all these different um, successful, you know, military commanders of the past, which I thought was mm-hmm. interesting that they a lot a lot of the references were like Caesar and like our 
they're old now, old military generals now. Like that, I thought it was interesting that there was no one, you know, more recent or whatever in mm-hmm. their history that they talked about a lot. But um, then I got bored with all of that stuff and I just started looking at war strategy <laughs> games. So, you know, I was like, oh, this is a game that they invented to teach these kids about, you know, not necessarily war strategy, but, you know, how the golds came to power in the first place and like kind of a mini version of, you know, what their ancestors experienced and whatnot. And then I was thinking about chess. Um, And I actually like was a chess nerd. Like I remember this one time my dad had some like co-workers over for dinner and they had a kid who was like acting all smarter than me because he was a few years older and (laughs) said he could beat me in chess and I like beat him in three moves and then oh my gosh good for you yeah well it was funny because then we like played a video game and I beat him in that too and then we played like (laughs) basketball or something and I beat him in that and my dad at the end of the night was like Katie sometimes you should let boys win and I was like what no that's (laughs) the worst advice ever (laughs) but he said it like as a joke like he was proud of me for not letting them win but um, um so I did a little bit of research on chess have you are you uh, chess. Yeah, I like playing chess actually a lot. I have a chess. So though. I used to have trouble remembering some of the moves when I was a kid, like that pawns could move forward but kill diagonally, right? Yep. And um, I learned a new move recently um, called castling, where you can um, switch the castle and the. Yep. Yeah. Or the rook, as they call it. So, anyways, mm-hmm. so I had this book that I was reading when I was little where it like explained that the pawns were the like foot soldiers at the front of the line and they used to have these big shields and they'd carry spears. So they would walk forward with their shields, but they could, they didn't want to move the shield out of the way. So their spear would like kill diagonally. And that's like how I learned and remembered that's how pawns kill. Oh yeah. But, um, I was looking into it a little bit more and I, <laughs> and I found this funny thing that I guess in like the medieval days, they tried to make the pieces more interesting so they gave each of the I think it's eight um pawns a different occupation <laughs> <laughs> like tinker tailor soldiers so yeah the eight or so were the first one was gambler and other low lives such as messengers oh no <laughs> that was the leftmost file um because that was uh it says that direction being literally sinister I don't know what that means okay to the left. And then the next the next one, the one in front of the knight, um, was the city guard or the policeman. Okay. And then in front of the bishop was the innkeeper. Hmm. And then in front of the king, um, it was the merchant or money changer. In front of the queen was the doctor. <laughs> and then in front of the other bishop was the weaver or clerk, because um, they were the ones who would wave or weave or wove, weave. They would weave the clerical robes. And then in front of the other knight was a blacksmith, so they could take care of the horses. Oh, okay. And, that at least makes sense. And then the final one was a uh, worker or farmer in front of the castle, because that's where they would work. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Did they have a reason for why they... I mean, I like that they put the blacksmith in front of the horse. Why did they put the doctor in front of the queen and a merchant in front of the king? Um, it says the merchant was always in front of the king, whether or not... It was on either side of the board, and it just says that it was always in front. So I don't know why, hmm. for sure. See, I would put, like, the biggest man in my army in front of the king. But, I, you know, I'm not a, a general, so I'm not an army strategist. Well, but I guess if you need someone to, like, care for the king, maybe the, the money changer just, like, knows everyone and can make things happen or something. I don't know. Oh, he's, like, the wheeler and dealer. Okay. That's just my, uh, my uh, hypothesis. Hmm. 
But then I also read about this game called, there's like a blind chess version, because chess in general is like a perfect information strategy game because you can see what the other other side has to work with and you know what every piece can do. Right. So um, in the, what year was it? Um, I don't know. I think it was back in, oh, maybe in in the 1800s, there was a chess variant called Kriegspiel, which was a German game, and... It was developed by George von Reiswitz or something like that. Oh wait. Oh no, there's two games. He doesn't he doesn't sound German at all. I'm also I can't pronounce any names as you know. And there's also a Henry Michael Temple. I'm not sure which one invented it actually. But um so in the game it was like the same basic idea as chess, except you couldn't see the other players moves or where their pieces were so you could strategize and you'd have to have like a third person as the referee who like would keep track of what was going on so I thought that was kind of cool and then I read that there weren't even queens before the 15th century it was an all-male piece game before that well and it's oh yeah because women can't be knights or bishops or pawns or castles but they didn't even have a queen because you know the queen's like the most the most popular (laughs) or the most powerful piece in some way yeah because she has the most power she can move you know she can she has the most freedom of movement so originally, the like person next to the king was either like a counselor or a prime minister, and it was really, really weak. So it could move kind of like the king does, I think, um, any direction, but only one space at a time. Oh. Um, and then when they started creating the king, there was a Russian version where the queen, because the queen can go diagonally like the bishop, back and forth like the rook or the castle. Um, but the Russian version, she could also do the knight, like the two in one. Oh, like the... Um, L. Yep, but then I guess people uh, objected to that because it was like improper for a lady to gallop like a horse or gallop on a horse. Oh my god. And then um, another one of the rules is like if a pawn gets all the way across, you can promote it to a mm-hmm. queen. But um, I guess people thought it was scandalous to have two queens on the board, so you were only allowed to do that if you know the what? first queen had already been taken. <laughs> What's scandalous about two queens? <laughs> See, I, I I care less about the moves and more about like why people had problems with them. <laughs> well, because because if the king already has a queen, he can't just go turning. Oh. A, he can't turn the uh, policeman or the uh, farmer into a new queen. But um, oh, it's not just that he can't have two queens. They don't want like a big love situation. It, it was like scandalous because it imitated, you know, real battle strategy. But the oh. new modern move of the queen where she can go everywhere and do everything, they think started in Spain during Isabella the first rule. And it was probably because she was like so powerful and had such, a, you know, widespread influence. Wide influence. But oh. also because um, of the invention of printing and when she sent all the Jews away from Spain. They took the new chess rules from, you know, that Spanish version that were printed and, like, oh. brought them around everywhere else. So I thought that was kind of cool. And it became more widespread. Oh, that is interesting. And also, like, I don't know. I like, I mean, it. it I guess chess, it does tie into this game a little bit too, or this book a little bit too, with how, like, there are pawns who are essentially the slaves that they make and they're, like, kind of doing all of the work for the people who are, you know, vying to be primus. But I... Well, and the whole thing about, like, thinking far ahead and strategy and trying mm-hmm. to guess what the opponent's going to do and sacrificing some of your pieces. Yeah, and especially the idea of, like, promoting your pawns. Because I really liked in this book how um, Darrow takes slaves but then lets them earn their freedom. Yeah. And that's how he maintains this extreme loyalty of the people who 
are under him. Although it is interesting at the end, um, you know, when I forget the arch governor or whatever his name is, um, is saying like, you're all going to go to different like places in the galaxy and you're just going to be a childhood legend to them and their loyalty doesn't matter. So I'm kind of curious if in the next book, you know, how that plays out, if they're still... Oh, if they still have a loyal following. If you can, like, leverage those relationships down the road, or if it's kind of, like... I hope so. Starting over. Yeah. I hope at least some I of mean, them. yeah, definitely not Cassius. <laughs> well, no, that's still going to be a problem, because they have a, a, a blood feud now, right? Oh, my gosh, yes. Okay, I loved that part when... Because, like, I didn't like that Cassius kind of went missing for, like, a bunch of the book, but then... When he came back, the when he faces Darrow after they, you know, they fight and he stabs him. I loved what he tells him, like the like the um, language he uses. It's also it's just it's so it's beautiful and it's pretentious, but I love it so much that I wrote it down. <laughs> Remind me, because I I write everything down. <laughs> so he says in your little detective notebook. Yes. Which I'm running out of space. I need a new one. Um, All right. So he says, this is a blood feud. If ever again we meet, you are mine or I am yours. If ever we draw a breath in the same room, one breath shall cease. Hear me now, you wretched worm. We are devils to one another till one rots in hell. (laughs) And it's like, and he says, it's a formal cold declaration that requires one thing of me. I nod and he leaves. And it's just, I don't know. I really liked I really liked that part because it's it is so formal and it is such a challenge and he, I don't know it was just so Cassius. It was, but I kind of am like, okay, I know it was your brother, but dude, get over it. Because <laughs> no, I mean not like get over it, but don't like hold it against this guy. Like be mad at the game or be mad at the system. Like even Roke is that his name? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seems to have forgiven him for letting Leah just get killed while he was right there. And I feel like that was more of a betrayal or something than yeah. him killing Julian when he had to. Well, it just completely reflects the Reds, you know, because when, when they were hating other Reds, not the people who put them in this situation, you know, it's he's playing right into what society wants. And like, I'm trying to remember because he said something after he saw the video. I forget what they call the video, but... um. Where he was like, it was the way you killed him or something like that. Right. Did he kill him especially brutally? I feel like he tried to make it quick. I don't remember now. I thought that he um, suffocated him. Didn't he strangle him? Maybe, but they like didn't have weapons. I guess that's not a great way to die, but it wasn't like he was... It's not like he humiliated... He didn't pee on him like yeah. they love to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I, I mean, I don't actually remember how he... I thought... That, um... For some reason, I thought he, like, used a rock or something. I thought he, like, struck him in the head or something. But maybe I'm making that up. He didn't do that. You know what we never looked up? Well, we can look that oh, up later. what? Um, in, uh, the last series when they killed the king with, like... Oh, and the young elites? One stab behind the eye or something like that. <laughs> like, he instantly died. <laughs> the ice pick to the eye. <laughs> or, yeah. <laughs> For some reason, that just came to mind. I don't know why I'm laughing at that. Oh, um... Okay, he headbutts him. He headbutts him? He grabs his neck and hits him in the head and hits him with his forehead. And then he does it again. Okay. Again until he stops. Ooh. So that is not strangling. I mean, that's not great. I'm just saying, like, for a lot of the things that have happened, I felt like that was one of the... That didn't bother me as much as everything else. Especially because everyone had to go through something like that. I mean, 
So did Cassius. Exactly. I'm glad we found out that it was Severo who killed uh, that one oh, guy. Oh, yeah. I know. I liked that you made that prediction. And I like, oh my god, okay, I think Severo is my favorite character. I love Severo. But also, I'm kind of confused because if his dad was the, like, Mars person, why would he have been paired up? Like, it seems like if you're from a family that matters at all, and it seems like that's a position that matters. So I was kind of confused how he got, like, the bottom of the... Oh, I didn't get that. I I, I kind of was of the opinion that um, his dad, Fitchner, was kind of a lower-ranking red. Or a lower-ranking gold. Well, I guess I kind of, I mean, like, the way he acts and some of the stuff he says and... You know, it seems like he wants to be higher and he's not, like, beautiful and all this stuff. But I still, I don't get how he got that role then. Maybe we'll find out. Yeah, I guess that's Because it doesn't seem like he has, he has a lot of respect, you know? Because all the other, um, what are they called? Proctors? No. Yes. Proctors um, seemed, you know, like, just like his peers seemed... In a, so even though I didn't get that impression from him, just like his peer group made me think it actually was a position of some importance or some merit. Yeah, that's true. But some of them are just like Mercury, that leader of House Mercury is just bizarre. Like <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if necessarily, I mean, you know, maybe there's a hierarchy within houses. Yeah, that's true. I mean, clearly, um, what's his face? Uh, um, Apollo is you know, very high up there because he's, you know, on the side of Pluto and they're they're bribing people so that um, the jackal will win. So it seems like other some people... Who was the Pluto guy? Because we never met him either, did we? You would think he would have been scheming. Oh, you're right. Um, but I guess we didn't meet any... I mean, we didn't meet everyone. We didn't really meet anyway. Um, did you uh, see on... Pierce Brown's website that you can be sorted into a house. I did see that, and I and I uh, partook. <laughs> okay, I did too. Um, do you want to tell each other what houses we got? Yes, you go first. <laughs> I got House Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they would tell you more when it like placed you about why or what it means. I got House <laughs> Venus. So. Oh. Yeah. Wow. da. So you got the goddess of love and I got the goddess of death. <laughs> or the god of de- what does that say about us? It means we're opposites and that's like, why we get along so well. <laughs> I don't want to hang out with the jackal. He actually like really <laughs> intrigues me. Like I hope there's more of him because I don't know. He he just reminds me of a uh, what do they call him? Uh, psychopath. Or, yeah. 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 And I'm, well, like, like, really <sighs> interested in that kind of, like, one of my favorite shows is Criminal Minds. Like, I just, I like people mm-hmm. who, like, I don't know, are, like, rational and not emotional. Like, I just, I find them fascinating. I do, too. 100%. And, I mean, the scene when he cuts off his own hands to, like, and he's, sm- like, laughing the entire time. Yeah. He, like, there's something wrong with him. So. And then I'm curious to hear more about, because, you know, his dad is the one we have been hating this whole book, because he's the one who actually killed, um... Eo, is that how you say Eo, it? Yeah, Augustus, Augustus right? Um, yeah. Yeah. But he's also the dad of Mustang. I know. And they're and they're twins, but they don't claim each other, and I'm curious if that goes both ways. And it, she kind of made it sound when she was talking about her family that it was when the, their brother died, their older brother, that, like, the whole family handled it really differently. 
Oh. So I'm curious if before the brother died, if she was close with her twin, and it, you know, like, because the brother was killed by Cassius's brother, right? Oh, yeah. That's like, that's like where that feud between those two families went, which is also interesting. I think so. Yeah, I, I, oh, I really want to see more of Virginia interacting with her brother. Yeah. Because, there. I mean, I want to know why she doesn't acknowledge him, why she, like, you know, she chose her house instead of blood, faction before blood. <laughs> well, and the fact that her dad supported the twin and didn't really seem to give her any help at all, you know? Yes, and that was confusing because, I mean, out of all of them, I'd say Mustang has proved herself to be the most resourceful. Um, I think at one point Darrow says she is what a gold should be. Like, she represents the best of... Yeah. a gold's potential and what they're meant to be whereas a lot of the other ones are just brutal and yeah I like that part a lot um he said yeah there's goodness in golds because in many ways they're the best humanity can offer but they're also the worst yeah and it's and it's interesting to see like who rises to the top and who sinks down during this game essentially this capture the flag game um, well, and this was just a game. So can you imagine what the next phase of whatever his training is going to be like? Like, when does it become real no. life? Is, is there this... going to be another game? Yeah. I'm like, it actually, so the game reminded me a little bit of the, um, it reminded me of the Stanford prison experiment a little bit. Yeah. You know? And it was just like, it was that experiment where they, um, they like took college students and they made half of them, they said half of them were guards and half of them were prisoners. And it was like by day one, the guards were becoming tyrants and they were like psychologically abusing the prisoners and they just internalized their roles to the extent that they had to like cancel the experiment. And it really reminded me of that. Yeah. Like, and I think I said last week also the, um, the one that school teacher did with like teaching racism with the blue eyes and the brown eyes and stuff. But mm-hmm. it's also interesting to think that all the golds have gone through this and that they're not more sympathetic to the other colors given most of them weren't at the top of their house. So many of them would have had to have been slaves and like gone through that humiliating or yeah experience. So what makes them think they're so much better than these other colors? Well, they said that like they, the proctors pur- purposely withholds, withheld supplies from some of the houses because um, like they want to teach you how good it feels to have power and how desperate you are when you don't. And so it, I, I don't know. It was just, I, I agree. Like, why don't they have more sympathy for people who are in their place? But it seems like the only takeaway is just this desperation and this drive to like yeah. reclaim power. Um, yeah. And I guess when you go back to the real world and you're back on top, you probably revel in it even more. Right. And it's just like, and they're all goals. That's the thing. So it's like, it reminded me of that experiment because it was just like, it's all situational. Mm-hmm. Like, your behavior is all situational. It's not, you know, biological. It's just, like, anyone could become a tyrant. Even, like, these golds who are the best that society has to offer when they're given the illusion of power. Like, some of them just go completely bananas and turn crazy. It is interesting to see the way different people kind of dealt with that all. Oh, speaking of, um, can we talk about the other red? Titus. Yes. Titus. Oh my god! Did gosh. you see that coming? No, I did not. No, no, because first of all, there was just like 
so much work went into preparing Darrow to become a gold, it didn't even cross my mind that other people would even attempt it. Yeah. And I wonder if there's more. Ooh. You know, like, if there if there was only one, part of me is now like, of course there was more than one. But now I'm like, there would there only be two or would there be more? Like, is he going to find a secret group of red gold people? Golden red people? They're, I mean... Orange people? I guess we already have orange people. Yellows? More yellows? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I just... I love... Oh, man. Titus. I, I, I felt so bad that, like, there was just such irony that... After everything Dara's been through, he killed a red for murdering a gold. I know. And he had that kind of internal struggle, too. Yeah. But at the same time, how did I feel any sympathy for Titus at the end of that? He was so horrible. I know. I mean, yeah. He deserves. But then you also hear, I mean, it sounded like he had some traumatizing experiences with his family or his girlfriend or his wife or so, you know, whatever. Yeah. And that hate towards the golds, like, I also totally understand that. And it kind of, it did kind of make me forgive him a little bit because it wasn't just a gold doing that to their peers. It wasn't quite the same as the Stanford experiment, you know? It was, he at least was really, I mean, he was wrong, but his, his vengefulness came from a different place than just like, you know. For the fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, yes, I agree. Um, it's so interesting that he and he and Darrow are just the complete opposites of each other. And they're just, it's, it's basically the two paths that you can take when you have trauma like that. Like you can either become a monster or like, or like Darrow try to, I don't know. I mean, Darrow's at least fighting for justice. Do you think he knew that Darrow was red? No, I don't. Even at the end? I don't think so. Okay. Mm, I don't think so. Because he did say something about how he was like, I thought you were like me or something. Um, but I don't know if that was just like, I don't know if that meant, because I went back and like reread their conversation at the end. Oh. Um, but I forget it now. There's a lot of reveals actually in this. Although it did kind of bug me. Like at first I thought it was really cool. And then it started to bug me that all of his plans, even though he like had plans, they were revealed to us in action, even though we were like from his point of view at the same time. Yeah. Does that make sense? It was, yeah. It was a little bit confusing. <laughs> I, I mean, I felt bad that he had to take Titus out, though, because he was just like, he's a, he's a danger to all of the Reds. And that's, it was just so sad, I thought. But, I mean, he was right. And it's also like, I think the goal of the game is not just to teach people about, you know, the need for power and how to avoid desperation, but it's also, he said, it it's to see how the golds handle justice yeah what you're like is the ruling class yeah yeah and so i i don't know how i feel though about darrow's choice that where he was like um who did he who did he punish and he was like made Pax do the same to him oh yeah that was um not titus but something else with the tactus tactus yeah at first i got confused when he came in i was like wait i thought oh wait that's someone different (laughs) yeah their names are I, i actually have a big pet peeve when authors have two characters and the names are too similar. Like that bothered, that just annoys me. <laughs> Don't do that. It's too difficult. He was kind of an interesting character too because he turned on his original Primus or whatever, leader of his house. Right, he was House Minerva and he cuts, um, um, what's her name? Uh, it was like Tamara or something. Like oh, that. Tamara, yeah. He cut the straps to her saddle. But I didn't understand why he did that and it makes me distrustful of him. 
Well, yeah. I mean, any kind of like internal rebellion is a little... Because, I mean, that's what happened with um, Antonia and, um, yeah, you know, that whole group when they, um, you know, led Darrow into a trap. So there's a lot of, like, internal betrayal going on against your house. I also thought, I want to hear more about, so Quinn was with Cassius when we last saw him, and now she's with Roke. And I'm curious to hear, you know, if Cassius, you know, what his... I'm just curious, did he, like, burn all of his bridges, or, you know, what just, what's going on with him now, besides his blood feud? I don't know, yeah, I, I have, we just didn't see so much of him after the, um, his fight with Darrow, and I kept wondering that, too, I was like, where's Cass, like, where did he go? All this action was happening, they were, like, taking over house, you know, all of the houses, House Diana and House Pluto, and he was just, like, completely absent from that, and I thought that was so strange. Well, it sounds like Jupiter and Mars were, like, in an epic battle, and he just skirted around it, but it was interesting for Cassius to be so hung up on that, and to have mm-hmm. already, because he gave up his Primus title in the house, too, right? He wasn't the Primus at the end? right. So I'm surprised he didn't, like, even Lone Ranger it and go and, like, seek out Darrow if he thought he was still alive. I mean, maybe he didn't have enough followers at that point. Yeah. I don't know. I like that Severo was there. Oh, okay. Speaking of Severo, I learned... So there's good news and bad news. The bad news is we can't come up with a name for the fans of Red Rising because there's already a name for it. Ooh, tell me what it is. So the fans of the series are called Howlers. (laughs) I like it. But you know what's weird? I was thinking that. It's like, the so we've read three series now, and every one, every like fan name that we've come up with has been wolf-related. So like the first one were Lunartics from the Lunar Chronicles. The second one for Young Elise, we made up Wolfpack. Mm-hmm. And now we have Howlers. It's like, they're all wolf-related, which I think is weird, but... I like it. You know, wolves are my favorite animals, so... I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I really... I like I, that. I really like that. I, I like him, too, because he's just so himself. Like, I don't, it's interesting. I think even Roke has some really good insights. Mustang has some really good insights. And Severo has some really good observations. Maybe not. Um, and, but, like, they're all kind of helping him see the world differently and think about what it could be, I think, in a really interesting way. Or see the problems with it that aren't just, like, red versus gold. Mm-hmm. And I want to see – I just want to know more about, like – Severo seems to have such a weird relationship with his dad. Yeah. And they're just both such interesting characters. I want to know, like, what is going on there? Yeah, there's got to be more to that story. Because his dad obviously still cares for him because his, you know, big thing was, like, make sure you protect my son and, like, thanks for looking out for him or whatever. Well, yeah, and he, I mean, the main reason Fitch- Filchner wants Darrow to um, give up and, and um, you know, let himself lose to Pluto is because he knows that he's, if he doesn't, he'll get his son killed. And that fierce loyalty, it's interesting how effective Darrow has been at getting that, like, loyalty from people. Even before yeah. he had, like, the kind of stronger strategy around it. You know, like, Severo liked him or, you know, followed him or connected with him back before. I think because he rules with love rather than fear. Sometimes. <laughs> Part of the time. Sometimes. I mean, you know, like... Yeah. And even um, Titus said that too. He was like, the difference between me and you is you made friends. Yeah. And he was like, you made friends too. And he was like, no, they're not my friends. Like they're my followers and they fear me, but it's not the same. And it is a big thing about respecting other people, you know? Yeah. And being able to like have meaningful human connections. Like, I don't know if you can be truly a good leader without that. And I like the hand analogy that Mustang used to like explain 
Um, Because that was actually kind of her idea to not have slaves, but to have loyal followers. Yeah. Like, he was the one who made it happen. But I'm also curious about her because she could have turned on him, not just from a betrayal standpoint, but, like, even at the beginning, she could have wanted to be the leader. Like, I'm interested why she took a step back and let him be in front the whole time. Like, I kind of feel like she has a bigger game plan. Like, what does she want? Yeah, because at the beginning, she was very much like trying to take him over but then it seems like she was willing to step aside and let him lead but it didn't even seem like a discussion it seemed like she pushed him into that role Mm -hmm. after they bonded in the woods yeah and she knew eo's song too so maybe okay i'm gonna say something crazy okay maybe she is part of the sons of aries are there gold in the son of aries though because if there's gold then why did they need him to go be gold Mm. i thought it was like a red thing Oh, maybe. But she's definitely, I don't know. It sounds like she could be a sympathizer, though. Yeah. Well, it definitely sounds like if she she would support some of the same revolution type of ideas. Although, I don't know, like, how radical she she would be. Like, I definitely think she's not happy with the status quo, but I think it's still a big leap for someone of her background to say, like, reds yeah. are equal to me or something. Especially since her father is the arch governor. Yeah. Yeah. Although I don't get a strong sense. That's another kind of interesting parental relationship. I don't get a strong sense there's a big family tie there in some ways. Yeah, and I don't like that he, like, has to pick his favorite. Like, he clearly has favorites among his children, and he just doesn't back her at all. Yeah. And they're twins, which I just... Maybe they had to be twins for them to be the same year at the Institute. Sounds like my dog is freaking out, by the way. Hi, Toby! (laughs) Um, But, like, I don't know. I always think of twins as, like, extra close. Like, even more than regular siblings. (laughs) But uh, they seem seem so different. (laughs) That's funny, because I know twins and they hate each other. (laughs) Yeah. I guess in real life that's not true. But in my mind, symbolically, they are. (laughs) Yeah. But especially because... Like we said, the jackal seems to like lack emotion almost, and Mustang seems like extra empathetic or like aware of that kind of stuff in my and compared to a lot of the golds we've seen, I think. Yeah, I mean, maybe he wants to use maybe he wants that in his son because he knows that he won't get emotionally attached to anyone. Like maybe he views that as a good thing. Maybe, although it also kind of was interesting because he at the end he calls um, Darrow slash the reaper his son or like my son and part of their like pledging to each other that's so weird like i just yeah but i'm kind of curious if his loyalties are like that like do you think now that's going to cause more problems between him and the jackal like did he like take the place as the favorite son now or anything like did he usurp the brother yeah probably i just think it's weird how like darrow is still a slave in so many ways you know like he's still serving if the arch governor takes him as what is it his apprentice or whatever, mm-hmm. it's still, it's still like such a position of servitude and I don't know. I'm just curious to know how much power he'll actually have. No, it doesn't sound like he will, at least at first, or at least it sounds like he's going to have to do a lot before he gets any. And then he's going to be really dependent on this guy. I know. And I'm worried about it because of what he did where he like infiltrated Mount Olympus and took over the gods. Like that was such a ballsy move and how... He refused to let the arch governor's son win, even when the proctors were trying to kill him to like take him out of the game, so mm-hmm. um, House Pluto could win. I, his like determination to not play by the rules it makes me afraid for him because I don't know how the governor is going to handle that. 
Well, I feel like his go-to phrase is always like, let's shift the paradigm, let's shift the paradigm, which is part of that extrapolational thinking that we, you know, talked about last week and I think makes him successful and to an extent is a good thing that they admire. But to your point, if he breaks enough rules, then he's a threat to the whole system. Yeah, and I I just don't know how that works. And it, I'm curious when the Sons of Aries are going to get a hold of him again. Because they can't, like, he needs some... Guidance? He needs an ally, like an actual ally. And I get that, like, they can't interfere during this game, but this game took so long. Like, <laughs> yeah, how many months was it? There were seasons that went by. <laughs> I just, I didn't expect the game to be the rest of the book. Like, because it was just like, okay, now we're going to play Capture the Flag. And then it was like 10 years later. <laughs> I don't know. It was also interesting, like, how much happened in the last, like, 30 pages. Yeah, I know. It's like, the book is so fast paced and so much happens. It's like, we're going to go take out take house Pluto, and then it happens in two pages. And Although, I wish... Do you remember the first chapter? <laughs> oh my goodness, he's changed so much. The whole world has yeah. changed so much. The whole world has opened up. I'm so curious to see life as a gold, even though he'll still be kind <gasps> Ooh, of enslaved, but like, uh, you know, life outside of the games, like is he... Is it still going to be like a really nice life? I wonder if he'll get, you know, it'd be interesting as if he, well, I don't think he would, but just gets like what? more caught up in embracing <laughs> his goldness. Um, I don't think so. You know, but yeah, no, I, I, as soon as I said it, I took it back. But. Because like so much of what he does in this game is a, ref- it's like a tie in to what happened when he was a red. And I love that there's so many connections, like the threads that connect his time as a red to his gold. There's so many of them. Like, um, when he didn't want to let the arch governor's son win and refused to take him out, it was just like winning the laurel again, where he was just like, we deserved it. So we should win it. And you can't, you know, just pre pick the winner because you feel like it. Yeah. This is supposed to be based on like merit. His sense of injustice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's just so riled up by that. And it's because of these, even though that we had only a few scenes of when he was a red, I love that they are coming back so strongly in the book to like help serve his motivations. And I think that's r- really clever that the author did that. I'm so curious to see, because they made it sound like there's a ton of these schools like around the galaxy or whatever. So I'm, is he going to interact with, like, the other winners? Or is it going to be, you know, I'm just kind of curious to see who stays in the second book and what new people we meet. Oh, my gosh. There's already so many people. I, I can't handle any more characters. <laughs> but I also, it would seem unreal if it's, like, the same group, right? Yeah. I mean, he has to meet other golds. But... Like, besides, like, okay, so so Jackal and Mustang make sense because he's, like, working for their dad. So hopefully they'll still be in it. And then Cassius makes sense because they've got their blood feud and they're, like, fam- his family and his new family are, like, rivals. But, like, I'm curious if, for the most part, you know, there's kind of, like, a bunch of new characters. Were they still at school, too? Like, is school over? Was that school? I think that's like they're dumb. They like graduated that school, and now I think maybe they can like go to different colleges or you know like different specialties or what, whatever. Because it made it sound like he could go like he could go to academy and learn to like fly ships or something, or he oh. could. I don't know. We'll see. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. It just seemed weird that like the school c- consisted of one one game, and that's it. <laughs> I don't know. It was not what I expected. Well, so he did, when he was, like, giving him, you know, I will give you what you want for your silence. I will buy you pinks, obsidians, grays, greens. I will sponsor your application to the academy 
where you'll learn to oh, sail. Okay. So I think this is the institute. So maybe this is like elementary school or middle school or high school oh, or something. Oh, and then he's graduating and going to like military school or something. Mil- yeah. <laughs> Pre-college. <laughs> okay. But I don't but I also hope it's not like as fun as this. I mean, as interesting as this was, I kind of hope it's really different. Like I don't really want to do another game. I don't want to play capture the flag again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder how, how big the what are they called? The um thing each house had to like mark their slaves oh the sep that they seem to carry around everywhere how big was it um and, and she used it as a weapon was it like a trophy size or was it like what were they called again i forget now that's silly how did i forget that they had so many weird um so many weird contraptions <laughs> and like and so many weapons I'm also, you know, I like it when we lose characters, but I'm really sad about Pax. I liked him a lot. I liked that he went from being an enemy to being a friend. Yeah, I did too. He was, but he was really loyal. He, he, yeah, he was. And that was a sign of like how good of a leader Daryl was. And he was able to, you know, get him on his side. Although I also felt like he was really loyal to Mustang. And since Mustang decided to trust him, that's why he trusted him. Like, I don't know that he would have necessarily um, done that on his own. Oh, yeah, that's true, I guess. Um, so I didn't find the name of whatever that thing is. I know, but what is wrong with us? I, are you looking through your book? We read it, like, so many times. Yeah, I'm looking through right now. That's why I'm kind of talking funny. But I it. found a lot of other na- other fun things. So <laughs> they have knife rings, pulse fists, pulse shields, <laughs> recoil armor, and a ghost cloak. I was kind of getting confused about which things could do what. And they have, like, gravity boots or something like that. I have no idea what any of those things do, but I think I would like a ghost cloak and a pulse fist, please. (laughs) Okay, so wait, what were the different... Because there was like a straight blade and then there was the blade he liked. The sling blade. But what was it actually called? The sling blade. And then there was the pulse thing, which in my mind at first those were the same thing. (laughs) The pulse fist. (laughs) There was a lot of pulse stuff. I don't know why that's making me laugh, but that just sounds so funny. A pulse fist and a pulse shield. <laughs> oh, what a what a weird space opera this is. <laughs> it's so space opery. Is it a scepter? No, I mean there's also recoil armor, razors. Oh yeah, there's a razor. Grab, grab boots, star shells. Star shells. <laughs> What's a star shell do? I don't actually remember that, but it says. Grab boots can lift a man in star shell as he carries an elephant in each arm. It was oh. when he was describing, you know, when he took all the howlers up at once. on Like, he made them tie their belts around each other. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, I hope he gets more of these fancy contraptions. I, 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 I do, like, I hope, I hope we see more of it in, like, out, out of this academy. More of this technology. It will be interesting to see to see this in a in a movie. I if they do short stories, I don't like there are short stories for this right now, are there? I don't think so. I tried to find some and I I couldn't. because um, I like to play that game. What short stories would I like to see? And Ooh. I think one interesting one would be Cassius during the time when the second half of the book is happening. <laughs> <laughs> Where did he go? What was he doing? What was his life like? Where did he come from? Where did he go? I, I would like to see, um, I want to see what happened between Mustang and Jackal. What's his name? I just keep calling him Jackal, and that's not right. Yeah, well, I mean, I call him Jack. I like, well, her name also isn't actually Mustang, but Jackal is... Oh, it's Virginia. Um, I, yeah, I, I want to know about that story. 
Yep. And, oh gosh, what other short story would I like to see? Hmm. Uh, Severo, anything? Severo. Any, just anything. I, I, He's like my new favorite. I don't care. Anything. I like like the piratey guy who doesn't listen to rules as we know. That's my favorite. Version. And I like that he just like runs around wearing this wolf cloak. And, and he like had no objection to be sewn into a horse stomach for like, that was kind of like the Trojan horse actually. Yeah. No, that's what made me think of it originally. When they hide in the horse stomach. But then they, and they constantly just like hide in mud and hide in, you know, shift mm-hmm. the paradigm. Shift the paradigm. Break the chains. Shift the paradigm. Should we talk about the next book that we're going to read? Oh, yeah. There's more. I've been flipping through this book for the last, like, ten minutes, and I cannot find the name. I know. It's actually really bothering me, but that's okay. We'll, uh, we'll find it as soon as we stop talking about it. Maybe it says it. Oh, no. It doesn't. Okay. Go ahead. Why don't you introduce book two? And I'll keep flipping through. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> Let me find it. Okay. Book two is called... <clears throat> Golden Sun, and now that I know more about the book, no, more about the series, I can appreciate the name better. Yes. <laughs> it, I mean, it's very on the nose. It was interesting that, like, the last words in this book were rise, something about rise. Rise, my son, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to read the back. I wipe the tears from my face, anger replaced by purpose. There must be another way, a better way. I have seen the cracks in their society, and I know what I must do. And it has nothing to do with bombs and plots and revolution. What terrifies gold is simple, cruel, and as old as mankind itself. Civil war. He seeks justice. To free his enslaved people, Darrow has infiltrated his world's brutal ruling class on a mission to destroy them. And though the only path to liberation is revolution, he must strive not for vengeance, but for a hopeful rebirth. (laughs) And then underneath in all caps, it says, he must live for more. (laughs) Oh my God, that kills me. (laughs) It's so dramatic. We'll talk about this maybe more next time. But, you know, I felt like his love for his wife was what motivated him so much. But now he's kind of got a thing for Mustang. How do you feel about that? Oh, I'm fine with it. Okay. I mean, she's a really cool girl. I I like that she's tough, but she's also, I feel like she has a good... I don't know. I feel like she has it in her to be a good person, too. Yeah. No, I like her. I, it's interesting how similar she kind of, you know, how she kind of embodies some of what um, Yo did, too. Yeah, exactly. So maybe we'll see more of them together. Maybe they'll become a thing, and we'll have um, Dear, Dear Jinya. I really like making the mashup of couples' names. <laughs> For Darrow. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Anyway, are you going to tell me a joke this week? I think it's your turn. Oh, I think it is. I also, I loved how Pax just shouted his name every time he ran anywhere. Oh, yeah. It kind of reminded me of Hodor. (laughs) He just says Hodor all the time. Okay, I was still trying to find... Are you still looking Uh, up the name of this? Yeah, (laughs) whatever. I'm going to find it, like, on the next page after we hang up. Okay, so, fun story. No, I'll tell you the joke first, and then I'll tell you why I thought of it. No, I'll just tell you the joke. Okay. What does a vampire do when it's sick? When he's sick? Yep. Um, oh, gosh. He... I don't know. I don't know. He takes coffin drops. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> my sister's boyfriend yesterday texted me, like, do you, I live with my sister. Do you have any cough medicine? And I was like... Mm-hmm maybe he's coming in town this weekend i was like i can get some if you need me to have some here and he was like no aaron's sick 
or something. I was like, she's in the next room. Why didn't she come tell me herself? <laughs> she was that sick. She couldn't get out of bed to tell you she was. No, she was like, I can't believe you texted you. I'm fine. <laughs> it was pretty funny, though. Oh, and she gave me that good. joke. So, fun fact. Thanks, All Aaron. Right. <laughs> okay, on that All right, note, um, we'll finish reading and so... Uh, oh, wait, no. How far do we read? Did you say? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, no. Everybody stop. <laughs> Don't turn off the podcast yet. We're not done. Um, Does that one have parts, too? I actually liked... We didn't talk about this. The different parts. It was like his different identities throughout. It was like red reborn gold and the reaper or something like that you know what there was so much going on i didn't pay attention to it all that much so i'm gonna pay attention in this book if it does the same thing okay so okay there are 444 nope nope 442 pages to this book so um we'll read up to 400 and no 221 ish if there's a chapter around there oh yeah how about read up to chapter 25 but don't read chapter 25 and it's called Creators. There's so much Latin in this book. Oh, okay. So, oh yeah, part three. Conqueror. Okay, so wait, read to part three. Stop when you get to part three. Yeah, stop when you get to part three. Okay. Is that before or after chapter 25? It's before. Okay. So don't read to chapter 25. Well, it, it's part three, and then when you turn the page, it says chapter 25. <laughs> okay, so I could read to either. <laughs> Just start reading. <laughs> okay. On that note, everyone go read, and bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.